Our identity is in Christ as a new creation, and being a new creation in Christ impacts how we engage the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we turn to your word, in particular the words that you spoke through the Apostle Paul to the Colossians and to us, we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we would hear and see in our hearts the glory of all that you had to say through Paul, in particular, the absolute necessity and power in the gift of prayer. Bless the preacher with faithfulness. Bless us with the ministry of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Colossians chapter 4 and verses 2 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today we wrap up the series on Colossians as we have journeyed through this letter from Paul to the believers in Colossae and to us in our day. We, had consi- we have considered the Apostle Paul's teaching on the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. We have heard him call us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as a new creation in Christ. And the Apostle Paul, in the latter portions of this letter, has taken his teaching and he has applied it very practically to the Christian Life, walking as a new creation in marriage, in the family, in the relationships of one in authority and one under authority, the workplace, for example. And today we bring the series to a conclusion, though there are several verses yet remaining, encourage you to read those verses, but we end today with this section where the Apostle Paul concludes his letter and this series for us by calling us to engage the world. And he tells us the primary way that we are to engage culture. And it's the way of prayer. What does it look like for believers to engage the world? I want to begin by telling you what it doesn't look like. That's often helpful. It doesn't look like life lived in the monasteries of Meteora in central Greece. On a trip to Greece several years ago, a group from our church, of which I was a part, toured these monasteries at Meteora in central Greece. And we learned that there were 24 monasteries that were built atop inaccessible rock formations. They literally looked like buildings on top 
of a rock pillar jetting into the sky. They were built by Eastern Orthodox monks in the 14th and 15th centuries. They were very, very concerned about separating from the world to the extent that the only access into these monasteries in their day was either by a ladder being let down from the top or by sitting in a basket with a rope and being hoisted up. The monks who lived there withdrew and disengaged from the world. They believed faithfulness to Christ meant rejecting the world, coming out of the world, and be ye separate from the world. The monasteries picture for us how we must not relate to the world as God's people and church. We must not disengage, be disinterested, separate. We must engage it. And the Bible teaches exactly what we are to do. Faithfulness to Christ means engagement with the world. Be in it, not of it, yes, but we're not to be like the monks who were in the world and disengaged from it. We're to be in the world, yet not of it. Our identity in Christ as a new creation means we do not flee to the monasteries. We engage. There are many aspects of believers engaging the world. We simply cannot detail them all. But the Apostle Paul focuses on one, in fact, I would say the primary and maybe one of the most important ways that believers are to engage the world. And here's how believers are to engage the world according to the Apostle Paul. Just think about this. The Apostle Paul could have given numerous ways that Christians could, should faithfully engage the world, but he only says one. And we need to hear it. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Believer, you engage the world by praying for the spread of the gospel in the world, and you engage the world by praying for God's people to be wise witnesses to the outsiders in the world. First, Paul calls every believer to walk as a new creation in Christ by being a prayer warrior for the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Paul began his letter in chapter 1, verse 3, with prayer. And he brings his letter to a close, basically, by calling the Colossians and all of God's people in all time to the ministry of prayer. And Paul focuses, focuses on three essential components of prayer. And then the Apostle Paul ask specifically for the Colossians to pray for him. First, the three essential components. Let me just give you a little phrase. We are to pray often, we are to pray informed, and we are to pray thankfully. Pray often, pray informed, pray thankfully. Persistence in prayer, pray often. Look at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. That's what Paul tells us. 
He taught the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. You probably know it. Praying without what? Ceasing. He also teaches something very similar in the companion passage in Ephesians to this text in Colossians. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Praying at all times. Praying without ceasing. What, on world, what in the world does that mean? I would like to suggest that we think about praying without ceasing as simply being in a spirit of prayer all day long. Praying short prayers, praying long prayers, praying often, being one who is given uh, to prayer. We have a sense if we are praying without ceasing, we have a sense of our total dependence on God, so we go to him just readily. In the grocery store line, we sense a need, we go to him. Maybe here in worship, we whisper up a little arrow prayer. God help me. God work. We have a sense of who God is, our dependence on him, so we ask God much and we ask of God often. And then there's watchfulness in prayer. Pray in form. Paul's meeting is for believers to be alert to their own needs, the needs of others, the needs of the church, the needs of the world. Be informed. Look at again at Ephesians 6.18. Keep alert with all perseverance for the purpose of making supplication for all the saints. How can you make supplication for all the saints when you're not aware of the needs of the saints. Similarly, in chapter 4, verse 2 of Colossians, our text today, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, being alert. And what is, why are we alert for the purpose of, Paul says in verse 3, pray also for us. Be alert, Paul says, so that you might know my needs, so that you might pray for me and those who are with me in the gospel ministry. By the way, Paul was in prison. Think he might have some prayer needs. So Derek has given you the litany of 40, 50, 30. We, we went through a 40 days of life prayer campaign just a couple of Saturdays ago. And many of us gathered with other Christians from other churches in Little Rock outside the Planned Parenthood, let's call it what it is, the abortion clinic on Aldersgate. And we had resources to inform us what to pray. And we prayed continually all day long. In fact, at least 40 days of prayer, the Church of Jesus Christ that participated in this national campaign prayed continually that God would bring an end to abortion and for the sanctity of life. And so we prayed informed continually as we walked about or sat outside that abortion clinic praying for the needs of pregnant women who were considering abortion praying for the needs of those unborn children that that we would value their life in the womb 
and not kill it because that's what abortion is. We prayed for the needs of the abortion providers that God might change their hearts. And that that whole industry might collapse because so many turn from sin to Christ, from murder to life, from self and serving self to serving God. And we pray for women who desperately need healing because of an abortion performed a week ago or 40 years ago. Pray continually. Be alert in prayer. Be informed. And now there's a 50 days prayer campaign. And this prayer campaign is like the 40 days of life. It's 40 days of prayer that the scourge of abortion, that the Roe v. Wade law might be overturned in our land as this Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks is before the Supreme Court in the very near future. And so there's an opportunity to be informed, to, to continually pray over these 50 days and, and, and beyond, and, and, and to pray that the laws might change in our land that would bring an end to abortion. And one of our own ruling elders, Dr. Kevin Brenneman, along with two of his partners and others, are actually going to Washington to speak to the Supreme Court on this very matter. Pray, knowing that your brother, Kevin Brenneman, is going to be standing before the highest court in the land. That God might grant him the words that those justices need to hear. Be alert. Take the initiative. Know how to pray. Know your own needs. Know the needs of others. Know the needs of your church. Know the needs of the kingdom. Know the needs of our country. Know the needs of our world. Take them to the Lord in prayer. Be one who is alert. Be one who is on the lookout for what to pray. And then pray. We're also called to have gratitude in prayer. Pray thankfully. Paul began Colossians with prayer, as I said. And that prayer was a prayer of thanksgiving in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, Paul prays a prayer of thanksgiving and he brings his letter to a close here in verse 2 of chapter 4, saying, Continually and steadfastly pray, being watchful, being alert with thanksgiving. We are to ask much of the Lord. But why did why has Paul throughout the and why did the scriptures, in fact, the Apostle Paul, and no less than three occurrences, specifically mention pray with thanksgiving? Because what praying with thanksgiving does is it brings balance to our prayer. We're not only asking for this and asking for that. 
but it's balanced with taking the focus off of ourselves and others and need to the one who is the provider and giver of all good and perfect gifts, the one who actually answers prayers. There's balance that is brought by that little phrase, with thanksgiving. And so we should pray much and we should give thanks much as well. And, and we, we, we see this balance in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, don't be lopsided in prayer. Be balanced. Ask much. Thank much. And a great way to bring balance to your prayer is to pray Psalm 136 and other scriptures like that. Psalm 136 as printed in your bulletin is a psalm that is a response of thanksgiving to all that God has done, is doing, and will do. Pray often. Pray informed. Pray thankfully. And then Paul asks for a specific prayer. This is what he says in chapter 4 and verses 3 through 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul's specific prayer request is simply this for world evangelization. He said, pray for us. Paul says, pray for me, pray for my fellow evangelists that God might be pleased to spread his word throughout the world by using us. But let's look at the us that Paul speaks about. The us included Paul, it included his companions, but it includes preachers then and now. It includes Derek and me. I know some of you pray for Derek and me as we prepare to preach and as we actually preach on Sunday morning. Thank you. The us includes missionaries. We've got two missionaries with us today, the Clements. The us includes any of us, any believer that is involved in the evangelistic enterprise. Pray for us. Paul was specific. Engage the world, you believer, Paul says, by praying for the spread of the gospel. The open door image here, we need to understand, Paul uses this in no less than three places, Acts 14, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 2. But what he does not mean is that pray that God might open my prison cell door that I might go free. That's not what he's saying. It is irrespective of Paul being in prison or out of prison. What Paul is saying here is that God opened the door. Pray that God might open a door that I would have more and more opportunities, either in prison or out of prison, to speak of Christ. 
to be successful in declaring the mysteries of the Lord Jesus Christ to Jew and Gentile. But Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, so likely he had in mind this open door that more and more Gentiles might hear the gospel and come to faith. That the gospel might be spread amongst the Gentile nations as well as the Jewish nations as well. And you may be saying, well, what is this mystery of Christ? Come behold the wondrous mystery. We just sang what Paul meant. Beautiful words that declare this mystery, the, the unfolding plan of redemptive history where through the Lord Jesus Christ sinners are being redeemed into the kingdom of God. This Jesus is the one through whom God brings his kingdom and redeems dead sinners. That's what Paul wanted to preach, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we should want to preach more than anything else. And because of the absolute importance of this message, the, the, the life-changing, eternal importance of this message, the Apostle Paul said, I want to declare it. I want the gospel to spread through me. Pray that it will, but pray that it might spread through me. I love this clearly. Paul is saying, I don't want to confuse anybody. The Apostle Paul is saying, I want to be clear in communicating the gospel message. Pray for that. First Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And I, Paul said, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul asked for prayer, that he might spread the gospel more and more. And he asked for prayer, that he might be clear in spreading this gospel he wanted to be effective. He did not want to use fancy words. He did not want to entertain. He did not want to captivate with his prose. He said, I want to clearly declare Jesus saves. Our generation wants to be entertained. Our generation wants to be spoon-fed. We do not need preachers who entertain. We do not need preachers who show off their preaching skills. We do not need preachers who use their sermons to manipulate. We need preachers who preach Christ. And 
And I look back some of my old sermons and I almost weep. They're so bad, so unclear, so complicated. Sorry. As a young preacher in the midst of growing, the gospel spread because the gospel is preached. And God has chosen to use that, the foolishness of men, to bring about a harvest of souls in his kingdom. Paul asked for prayer that he might clearly and plainly preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to more and more people. And we know God granted him success because while he was in his prison cell, a runaway slave came to him that we talked about last week that Derek preached on back last summer and was converted, Onesimus, from the church in Colossae. And here's the point. Why did the Apostle Paul pray? Well, there's power in prayer, yes. But I think another reason is the Apostle Paul wanted to give the Colossians the opportunity to be participants in his ministry to spread the gospel. Let me tell you something. We, we need to get this. That when we join our missionaries in prayer, we get got the Mirabella's prayer needs, we got prayer cards. When we join our missionaries in prayer, we become participants in the gospel ministry work that God is doing in and through them. The best use of our time is to read those prayer letters and to join in the work of the spread of the gospel around the world, even in a distant land, in prayer. Our mission-sending organization, Mission of the World, is asking us to participate in 30 days of prayer. Look to your bulletin. It's for global missions. It's for world evangelization. It shows us how to participate. So let us join in the work with our PCA missionaries and pray continually. Pray informed. Pray with thanksgiving. Participating in the work around the world with our missionaries, our own missionaries, like the Mirabellas, like the Clements, like the Mitchells who recently sent out a prayer letter. Read them and pray over them. Be part of the team in ministering here, there, and around the world. Think how exciting that is. Most of us will never go to a foreign land. Most of us will never have direct impact in translating the scriptures to some country that doesn't have it. Wait a minute. We do when we participate with our missionaries in prayer. That's what Paul is saying here. And when you look at it like that, it brings a whole new perspective to why we should pray when we get that missionary prayer email or letter or whatever it might be. Prayer is essential and prayer is powerful. Douglas Kelly wrote, the God of scripture has great blessings stored up for his people, but he has so planned it that those blessings can only be released by the prayers of his people, the very prayers God has ordained for his people to pray. John Piper wrote, prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie. 
for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. God has given prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in this world. Don't withdraw from the world. Don't disengage. Don't flee to the monasteries of Meteora and look down on this awful mess and say, I'm done with it. Don't do that. If we're upfront about it, we may want to do that often. But Paul says, don't disengage. You are not saved to disengage from the world. Think of it like that. Disengaging from the world is not walking as a new creation. Think of it like that. We are to engage the world. We are to pray first and foremost, continually, informed, thankfully, as we pray specifically for the spread of the gospel message throughout this world for the saving of souls. I would commend to you that Paul is saying that this is one of the chief ways that Christians engage the world. It is while being in the world, we fall to our knees in prayer for the world and to spare the gospel. God's heart is for the nations. Bill read Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. God has a concern for the world, the nations. And we should as well as his new creations let us pray continually. Let us pray informed. Let us pray with thanksgiving for the spread of the gospel and global evangelization. May we continually, being informed and thankful, be on our knees in prayer in the world for the world. And then second, and I'll try to speed through this, Paul calls every believer to walk as a new creation in Christ by being a wise witness towards outsiders for the spread of the gospel in, in the world. These, these verses remind us not to speak and behave in, in a way that would bring, bring disrepute to Christ, the church, the gospel, in the eyes of outsiders. And we, and we need to be reminded of this. We can, we can so often blow it amongst unbelievers. We need to remember that we're ambassadors of Christ. But I don't think that's Paul's primary point. I think Paul's primary point is to take verses 6 and 7 as a continuation of, of his request that he made in verse, verses 3 and, and 4 that, that he would pray.
pray with clarity in declaring the gospel, that he would understand how to be clear with people as he shares the gospel with them, given their circumstances. We, we are not only to pray for clarity, but we're also uh, to pray that anyone who is engaged in the, in the evangelistic process, any preacher, any missionary, would be mindful of what that person with whom they are speaking is going through. In, in other words, to be able to contextualize in a positive sense the gospel message to fit them, to fit that outsider of the kingdom so he or she may know how the gospel applies to them. And what, this is what I mean by being contextual. Uh, Paul, Paul says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. Paul uses that, that phrase, seasoned with salt, the echo of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. And here Jesus is saying, my disciples are those who flavor and preserve the world and society. And here in Colossians, Paul is teaching a similar thing, that, that the very words the believers use as they're spreading the gospel message should be clear and should be applicable to that person. As they speak the truth of the gospel lovingly, that person should receive those words. It should be spoken in a way that the person could readily receive those words as, as flavoring their lives and as preserving their lives. This, this aspect of salt and light. Let me give you an example. I was part of the evangelistic team who was going out, going door to door, uh, talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so on this particular evangelistic visit, I was not the one responsible for sharing the gospel. There was another uh, teammate there. And the very first thing this woman says as she came to the door, we said, hi, we're so-and-so and doing this and doing that. And she said, I've just recently been divorced. And the one in charge of leading the gospel presentation said, I am sorry. And then the individual just began sharing the gospel word for word according to the outline that we were using, never making reference to the fact that this lady was hurting and divorced. A beautiful, faithful gospel presentation that was not clear because this lady couldn't hear it. It did not really apply to what she was going through. Notice what the Apostle Paul did in Athens in Acts chapter 17, speaking to those Athenian philosophers. He spoke the truth, but he catered that gospel presentation to them Acts 17. Read that. It's masterful. And I believe the Apostle Paul is saying a similar thing here, that when we share the gospel, we should not share it in a vacuum. People are hurting. They have questions, legitimate questions. They are skeptical. Speak the truth. But speak it to them in their context. The Lord Jesus in John chapter 4 models for us what this looks like. 
when the sinful woman at the well came. And Jesus' interaction with her was gracious, gentle. He spoke truth, but he dealt with her where she was in her sinfulness. And he offered her water, the, the, the water of life. Jesus shared himself. But he shared himself in light of what this woman was going through. Pray for the Holy Spirit to impart wisdom that we might faithfully make a defense for the hope that is in us in a way that draws the person in and does not repel them. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Pray for the Holy Spirit to show us how to speak the truth into a person's life where our gospel words are gracious, seasoned with salt, words that, that preserve. Pray for, for wisdom, resulting in walking in wisdom, that we would make the best use of our time, as he says in, in verse 5. S.D. Gordon said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And as I look at, at verses 4 and 5, perhaps the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to see that the best use of our time is to pray that God would enable us to speak the truth of the gospel with words that are gracious and loving where the person life experience hurts and cares is taken into consideration that's Paul says is making the best use of your time world evangelization using gospel words that are gracious as being seasoned with salt that are clear. How can we make the best use of our time here at Covenant? Not by retreating to a monastery, disengage the world. No, the best use of our time is to be on our knees in prayer for the world and for God's people to use wise, true, gracious words seasoned as with salt to flavor and persevere individuals' lives as we declare Christ to the world. There is a group of faithful members who gather each Sunday morning at 9 o'clock to pray, and they pray for Derek and Tim as preachers. Thank you. Would you consider joining them? This coming Sunday evening, the 21st, I want to ask you now, uh, be praying for Bruce. He's our preacher. And we'll be praying. There's a small group of people that come on Sunday evenings to pray, to observe the Lord's Supper, and to hear a message from God's Word. I just want to say this without bringing a guilt trip on anybody. Please don't view this as, as, as optional. View it as making the best use of your time come and pray 
and I am beginning with the session's permission a prayer meeting that will take place Wednesdays at 5.30. I've chosen 5.30 because you can come after work, pray for 30 minutes, and go home. You can come from home, pray 30 minutes, and go eat supper. And for me, you can pray 30 minutes and then go to a meeting. And boy, do we need prayer for that. The history of prayer meetings is bleak because people don't view it as the way Paul viewed it, as making the best use of your time. Would you come to be a part of continual prayer that is informed, that is grateful, as we pray for all sorts of needs in the church, in the kingdom, and we need to pray for our church. We need to pray that people would grow spiritually. We need, we need to pray that these pews would be filled even in light of the pandemic. We need to pray that our ministries would be vital. We, we, need, we need to pray for our church and for the future. And I believe the best use of our time is to gather together as God's people and pray our church. We need to pray for world evangelization. We need to pray for our missionaries. We need to pray for our denomination. We need to pray for MTW. We need to pray for ourselves as we seek to share the gospel. We have so much to pray for. So will you come this Wednesday at 530 in this sanctuary and join me in a time of prayer, a short time of prayer. My prayer is that this will become a pattern in the life of this church. Just sit back and see what God will do. Our identity is in Christ as a new creation. That impacts how we engage the world. We engage the world primarily. There are many ways, but Paul says the chief way is in prayer, praying for the spread of the gospel around the world and in prayer for every believer to have wisdom in speaking truth and speaking graciously to a world in need. Let us pray. Father, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.